Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hill, and you know, valuation may not be the sexiest topic in the world, but it actually is at the dead center of one of the hottest investing debates right now as we head into the summer of 2014. That's what we're going to kick around today. I'm joined in studio immediately to my right, Jeff Fisher, the head of Motley Fool Pro and Options, Bill Mann, the portfolio manager at Motley Fool Asset Management, and our chief investing officer, Andy Cross, also co-advisor at Motley Fool Hidden Gems. Uh, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Um, Bill, I'm going to start with you because we've, you know, we've got the Dow and S&P hitting all-time highs. You got some people out there saying, "Hey, that alone tells us that the market is way too expensive." Other people are saying, "Look at the pullback that we've seen recently in growth stocks, particularly small caps." Mm -hmm. Say, "You know what? Yeah, the market's a little expensive, but it should be a little expensive." When you look at the market, what goes through your mind in terms of valuation? I think that the U.S. market is expensive. I mean, if you look at if 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 you look at on, on any ratio on any valuation basis, it's as high as it's ever been. And there are a lot of things that are happening right now that that we don't know how we're going to come to the end of. I guess that's always true, but we're in the middle of quantitative easing, and at some point we have to reverse that. I mean, it it has to happen. You can't be on crisis footing forever, and we don't really know how that's going to end. We know that what will happen is that capital will become more expensive. So for, for companies to be trading at extreme valuations with that kind of background, to me, it's a lot higher risk than it's been in the last few years. Well, and Bill, the extreme valuations, there's that range. So small caps yeah. tend to be on the expensive side relative to both their their earnings multiple, yeah. as well as compared to large cap stocks. But large cap stocks are still looking a little bit more cheap, and you've seen this reflected over the past few months as small caps have really gotten hit in the market, yeah. and large caps have really performed well, and now the S&Ps at all-time highs. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really amazing when we talk about the markets, we tend to be talking about the U.S. markets. Right. But in 2013, the developed markets, you know, the U.S. included, outperformed emerging markets by 3,000 basis points, yeah. which is the kind of thing which never, ever happens. So, when we say valuations are expensive, we're saying valuations right. are cheap. We are most certainly not saying that there's nothing out there to buy. I mean, it's, I think it's a huge distinction that we should make. Jeff? That's true. I agree. Uh, small caps have looked more expensive mm -hmm. relative to history lately, while large caps have been more in a range that, a, a historical range for many of them, yeah. uh, which you could say is an average range. What we have to keep in mind, as Bill talked about, is interest rates are extremely low. Right. Uh, the 10-year Treasury right now is around 2.5%. The 30-year is 3.6%. Yep. These rates are so low, and when that's the case, stocks are going to have higher multiples. The question is, how long will rates stay low? And so far, even though the Fed is backing off on its easing program, rates have stayed low. And that's been a surprise, which has helped stocks go yeah, higher. And furthermore, we also have a lot of money, not just on corporate balance sheets, but a lot of uninvested money into the stock market. So, the, the, the idea is that there's still a lot of money out there that asset managers are looking to invest, and they're still looking primarily in U.S. markets, because that seems to be the safest place to put your put your money and the most consistent performer. Until things change. Until things yeah. change. That's absolutely, well, that's the point. I mean, that's the at problem. some point, interest rates will go up. At some point, the quantitative easing has now been pulled back to $45 billion a month. At some point, that will go all completely, and interest rates will rise. Yeah. But when that happens, you can still see a lot of good returns between now and then. Yeah. Not to get all pickety on you, but uh, the <laughs> the percentage of uh, the percentage of the of GDP that is you know that is being consumed by or explained by capital gains now is at one of the highest points in its right. history. And there's the one thing that we know about economics is that it, it tends to be. 
mean reverting remain verting uh mean reverting so i i think that that's a really important point so what do you say to investors who are run oh sorry (laughs) seriously though what do you say to investors who are anxious maybe they were anxious before they um started to watch this video and now they're even more anxious hearing you guys talk about how expensive it is you know i think that I, i for for me it is it is simply true that the stock market is the best wealth building machine of all time. I would make sure I always feel like I'm a little bit I, I, I'm a little bit better off if I feel a little bit of discomfort when I'm investing. And right now to me the market feels very comfortable. There are a lot of things that people know, and some of those things are going to turn out to be deeply incorrect. So I would look at some of the more hated areas of the market right now. I mean that's really what you know what you should be doing at all times, but I think you should be doing it even more now when so many people seem to be, to be very confident about how things are going to go. Well, and I think you also, um, sorry, Jeff, to jump go in, ahead. you also can't um, just look at valuations in a vacuum because I think what's so important is you have to understand your personal risk tolerance and how your portfolio is diversified. And I, th- I think about valuations, I kind of think of market valuation, I think of your portfolio valuation, risk profile and I think of individual stock selection valuation. It's kind of one of the Russian dolls, you know, that are stacked on top of each other. So I think that's very important to look at that entire picture. And you have to understand both your risk profile. If you're you're 25 years old or 30 year old, years old and you have lots of time to invest, you definitely want to be invested in a long term and invested primarily in stocks. Yeah. But if you're thinking that you're close to retirement, you have to be very careful of how you're investing in, in equities. Totally agree, Andy. It's hard to know where to draw the line, but I'd say generally anyone 45 or even 50 and younger should just view the market as a savings machine and keep saving all they can and putting more into the market. And if stocks are a bit overpriced right now, that doesn't mean they will they will be a year from now or two years from now. I look at everything for in, better or for worse, right? <laughs> well, I, in in pro in Motley yeah. Fool Pro and, and for myself, I like everything we own right now, and I try to make that always be the case, of course. And we always look at rolling three-year periods, so we're always looking ahead right. in a rolling three-year basis. So yeah. something we own may look a little pricey right now, but we believe it'll create value, worthwhile value, the next three years. On an, looking forward, yeah. ongoing. That's a super important point. I mean, it would it would sound when we're sitting here saying yes, the market is overvalued. If you talk about us at our funds, you say, well, then you're mostly in cash, correct? And that's that's not the case at all. I mean, I think that if you look at things on a long term basis, there are lots of things that you can buy, but. You know, Which I think is the only way you can look at them because you nobody should. knows. Yeah, you term. should. But I think that so many people say, "Well, what's you know? Are we going to beat earnings this next quarter?" I mean, at some point that right. game stops, right. right? I mean, it may it may already be stopping now. I mean, market market peaks aren't necessarily a point in time; they're kind of a process. Right. But you know, I would say that uh, you know, looking longer term, there 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 are plenty of things that you can buy. Well, and then for an index is just a representative sample of the yeah. of the market, and it's only it's only five hundred stocks, two thousand stocks, five thousand stocks. If you're looking at the Wilshire, mm-hmm. there are lots of opportunities inside that range that you want to find as an investor. That we yeah. spend all of our time, whether it's in pro or whether it's asset management with full funds or whether it's in Motley Fool One, trying to find those individual securities to balance out your portfolio. Yeah to build out a diversified portfolio to be able to manage your risk tolerance. So just because the markets say one thing doesn't necessarily mean you need to, in fact, it doesn't at all mean you need to jump the other way yeah. in your investing approach. Yeah, though the market tends to move as right. well. There's a lot of, there is a lot of correlation. Absolutely, yeah. there's definitely a lot of correlation. But the fact is, is that sometimes when the markets are pulling down, obviously, you can find the best buying opportunities. Yeah. 
Uh, We'll get to a couple of the individual stocks in a second, but Bill, you mentioned a moment ago uh, areas of the market that are hated. What's one that leaps to mind? Well, banks are still somewhat hated. I mean, very much so. I mean, you have if for you good th- reason. I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think for I think for good reason too. Yeah. But you have you 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 have banks out there that have incredibly low cost of deposits right. that are trading it somewhat cheaply, and they they actually aren't necessarily these aren't banks that have invest investment banks attached to them. They're not necessarily exposed to housing markets. Some of the you know some of the banks that that we like are financing things like tractors. You know, so I mean, there are there there are there are areas everywhere, and I would say that if you have someone, if you have someone who says, "Hey, get me out of," you know, so like for, for example, earlier this year on CNBC, you could not turn it on without hearing about how people were were getting out of emerging markets. You know, that's interesting to me because we have the ability to buy emerging markets. Anybody can. We have index funds that 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 will do it. ETFs will do it. I'm immediately interested in in the things that people are selling, and you can hear it all the time. Man, Bill, I agree. Uh, large financials are still inexpensive. A lot of large tech looks inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Those are two of the wider areas that Pro has invested. Uh, more money is in those sectors than others. And uh, emerging markets. We bought, we invested some in emerging markets early yeah. this year when everyone's throwing it out the out the window. So, yeah. All right. Let's get specific with uh, a few of the widely held stocks out there. And Andy, let's start with Berkshire Hathaway. When you look at it on a valuation basis right now, it's up about 8% year to date. It's close to an all-time high. What do you see? Cheap. I, w- I mean, I own it myself. I would buy it here. Uh, the B shares, uh, we think I was just talking to Ron Gross over a million dollar portfolio, somewhere in the neighborhood of north of $150 a share. Um, if you Now, obviously, we all know Warren Buffett not getting any younger, Charlie Munger not getting any younger, so you have that kind of. Neither are you, Andy Cross. I am not. That's, that's, <laughs> sorry, that is dude. not true. Oh, that is, you want to see where I drink in the morning, Bill? Um, uh, I will say that if you look at the assets they have accumulated and the way that Buffett is starting to structure that team with. The uh, investing managers yeah. with the business units. Um, it is a large, very large company, so it doesn't mm-hmm. turn on a dime. And you may not see, at, you won't see these astronomical returns. But from a long-term holder perspective, buying the B shares now is is yeah. um, is fine in my my mind. This last five-year period was the first time the Berkshire Hathaway trailed the performance right. of the S and P 500. And the, some of the changes that uh, that Warren Buffett has made over the last. Five years have been remarkable. I mean, he's transformed the company. It's not, it's not apparent yeah. yet, but it, it has happened. Yeah, in a very good time for markets over the last five years, yeah. which they tend not to perform well when markets do really well, as the markets have done recently. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, when you look at Apple, up around forty percent over the last twelve months. Uh, obviously, it's not as cheap as it was a year ago. We still like it. I still think it's a value as long as. They come out with, as everybody knows, some sort of new product category that can take them to the next level. I think the iPhone, iPad, and even MacBooks, though they're much smaller business line, are are going to be a cash cow for a long time to come. Mobile computing is only growing; it's not going away. And Apple is the leader. Apple far and away makes the most cash flow in the mobile computing industry compared to no one else comes close. And we've seen in the past year, year and a half, they're not going to give up on their margins. They're keeping their margins up. They're not going to the low end of the market in the smartphone market. That We love that. So it all comes down to it's a value stock right now. And if they come out with a new, in my opinion, and if they come out with a new category that is, you know, and this is a tall task, iPad-like success, it's Apple's, it's a, it's a 
another rocket booster to the stock. Do they need to achieve that kind of success? I mean, Tim Cook has maintained all year they will absolutely come out with a new product by the end of 2014. Does it really have to be as successful as the iPad was? Because, to your point, that's a really high bar to play. <laughs> that was I th- pretty successful. I think the existing product line could keep the stock about where it is and have it slowly, modestly appreciate over time. Um, assuming just kind of stable sales and stable mm-hmm. margins. But they need a new product that's very successful to move the numbers in a way that would really move the stock strongly. Yeah, uh, Bill, sticking with big tech, Google shares a flat year-to-date, obviously, great brand, far and away the leader in search. Had a huge 2013. And on yeah. a valuation basis, because of that, is it richly valued? I think we actually think that uh, that that Google's actually a holding of 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 our funds, and we would call it at least at at worst fairly valued. I mean, it it is. You want to talk about a category killing company? I mean, Google. You know, they they have they generate so much cash. They carry a bazooka. They that's right. (laughs) Yes, Uh, not to get all Marshall, but yeah, no. it, It is to me, Google is an astounding company, and we we have certain companies that we basically call mutants, and I think that Google is one of them. I mean, again, it's very large company, yeah. and but an amazing business model that they are now deploying in lots of different ways: yeah. cars, bought bought ways, all these different kinds of integration, drone space, um, uh, balloons for internet. I mean, just so many ways they are starting to really deploy that capital in very cool ways that don't add up really necessarily right now in the financials, but they're just sowing the seeds that yeah. someday will. Yeah, their managers have just an incredible yeah. long-term view. Yep. Just have no problem at all investing in things that, that won't pay off for 10, 15 years. Yeah. Well, and like Apple, they've got the cash cow that funds everything else, yep. right? Yep. As long as the search keeps delivering the way it is, they can <laughs> go off and do the self-driving cars. Just so people still use that internet machine, right? right? <laughs> um, Facebook, Jeff, uh, God, it's it's almost hard to remember what a rocky first twelve months it had as a public company, and it has been nothing yeah. but you know sunshine and rainbows since then. And believe it or not, I think Facebook still has a lot of potential, uh, long term and intermediate term. Facebook, we we set up a, a position in it in Pro around twenty dollars per share for context, and I own shares as well. And the reason is it trades at a, at a value multiple about the same as Google did back in 2006 or seven, a year or two after Google went public. And Facebook actually has much stronger margins and is growing at a rate comparable or faster than Google was back in the day. And I think the, the market for mobile advertising is just, they're just scratching the surface so far. So there, as long as they can keep traffic at the robust pace where it is right now and growing, which is, again, no small task, but mm-hmm. I think they can do it. I think there there's plenty of runway for them to grow revenue, and they're already gener- generating great free cash flow. Speaking of um, Bill talking about going where people are just hated, I mean, Tom got this so right in Everlasting Portfolio because Facebook came public at 37 and got down to the low 20s, maybe even broke 20, I can't remember. And uh, I remember having a conversation with Tom on it, and he was just like, it's, it, there were so many reasons why that whole situation was broken, and yet you look at the assets they were having. No one had com- confidence in Mark Zuckerberg. He's actually he and Sheryl Sandberg have actually shown great leadership since then, and and even a little bit of humble pie too. And they now have everything that Jeff has been talking about, yeah. and that is still not reflected in the stock price. 
Uh, actually, I would say, I mean, and, and disagree let me, to, until yes, later. totally. Exactly. Uh, but let me preface it by saying that that Facebook is one of two companies that we've kind of identified downstairs that we have the capability of being most wrong about. But I actually think that Facebook has has, has some real significant challenges on you know, just looking at the demographics of its of, of its of its usership. A lot of people, you know, uh, the the kids these days they're not they're not going to Facebook proper. I mean, obviously they're you know they they they've adopted Instagram and it in a huge way it is a company that generates a lot of a, a lot of cash i do look at the social media segment and think that uh and 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 believe that uh that there is the opportunity for a lot of losses across that segment over the next few years yeah i, I the balance with me and what kind of got me is just the drive of their aver- different kinds of advertising they're yeah. doing now and the fact that really big large advertisers are still just testing the water online and with mobile space and Facebook has done such a good job with the mobile space and trying to grab those advertising um, not just the relationships and that was a big challenge for them was getting those relationships right you know we've seen the challenge that Yahoo has had with this with with uh, Marissa Meyer what she's done over in Yahoo and the challenges they've had Facebook is starting to get this right yeah I do believe that uh, you know that that it has been suggested that the ads that have been running on you know on Facebook are not particularly effective. They 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 have they have great capability to figure this out, but I don't I don't think they have yet. Well, sticking in the social media space, Andy, you look at LinkedIn, yeah. which really did have its business model set right when they went public, mm-hmm. profitable right out of the gate, and yet uh, shares getting knocked back about thirty yeah. percent this year. I'm wondering when you look at that, do you think, well, you know what, that's maybe a situation where the stock got a little ahead of itself, yeah. or uh, or is it warranted? Well, I think I think the the big concern is is their growth slowing in their key in their in their key um, um, uh, hiring solutions business, and given the guidance they've given. The uh, Everlasting Portfolio team and I, uh, with Brian, a lot of Brian White's work, um, is trying to figure out how does that growth balance between the three divisions they've talked right. about, and is it really slowing, and are they starting to lose a little bit of their um, the power that their moat has? Um, so the pullback has been a. I think it did, the stock did have such a great run, so it's naturally get a little deflation when the rest of the growthy market uh, stocks really pulled back earlier this year. Um, and B, the que- there are some questions about their their um, uh, immediate term um, earnings picture. So uh, for, for LinkedIn's a challenge for me. Uh, I own shares myself, and I still think it's going to beat the market over over time. But they do have some um, they do have some business challenges that they have to uh, knock out with their um, with their uh, business model and their client base. Uh, last one, Bill Chipotle, kind of a roller coaster, mm-hmm. 2014, <laughs> but uh, but a company that uh, you've identified in your writings uh, before as being part of the awesome continuum. Yes, the awesomeness continuum. Yeah, they are. They, they, Chipotle is truly one of the one of the best run companies in the world. Yeah, you know, we 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 believe and. We take a very simple heuristic about Chipotle, which is we look at its most saturated market, which is Colorado, which now has about one Chipotle restaurant for every 40,000 people. And then we will look even just at its largest market, which is California, which still has a Chipotle for about every one every 300,000 people. And I think to myself, if they are not saturated in Colorado, they sure as heck are not saturated in, in California. I think that the stock the stock has had had a tremendous run in 2013. So. 
would not be that excited to uh, to to put new money into it at this point. But the other thing that we've learned about Chipotle is that is that they are good at they seem to be good. I think it's a little bit early, but they they have shown some real promise at rolling out additional concepts that use their basic IP. And as a restaurant company, that's rare. I mean, I, I, that that really is that really is hard to do for a company for a restaurant company to roll out by themselves additional concepts. And what's so brilliant about Chipotle is they've done it with so little marketing. Yeah. Like this, their marketing techniques, and they're just starting to build up some of their marketing prowess, um, more traditional marketing. But really, they they've built up this amazing business um, with very little marketing and so much good uh, goodwill and good word of mouth. That's so true. And they're now finding that the marketing they are testing is working. It's driving increased traffic. Yeah. They're increasing in prices the US. in mean, the I U.S. I think that's yeah. important. I mean, and yeah. increasing prices regionally in the U.S. bit by bit, and they're they're not getting any pushback on that. Yeah. And of course, they're rolling out their. Uh, Chop House and uh, Shop House and um, Pizza. What's their pizza is concept that, called? Pizza Rev. Is that pizza? There we go. Yep. Yeah. Um, they are rolling them out, albeit very, very slowly. Very you slowly. Consider the, the yeah. growth of the Chipotle concept versus. Uh, yeah, Shop I mean, House. even things like breakfast at Chipotle has been intre- incredibly yeah. controversial. I don't know if you guys ever go into or out of Dulles. Dulles Airport has yep. a Chipotle, you know, in the yep. in the gate that has awesome breakfast tacos. I mean, right. to me. That's. I mean, I, I almost want to make an excuse to go somewhere so I can, you know, <laughs> so I can make sure to get those breakfast tacos. But they. Uh, well, the same with Sofritas, their vegetarian option, because they didn't have a lot of yeah. really good vegetarian options, and they just now have gone national with that after a very careful rollout. So, you know, I think Steve Ells is very yeah. uh, meticulous, making sure they can source the ingredients and they don't lose the quality, because that is such a big driver yeah. of the Chipotle story and the Chipotle margins as well. Yeah, I would say that the big issue for them is they have tried and they have really not had a whole lot of success internationally. Yeah. It's possible that they will get it right, but also I think a pretty big risk is that they will deploy a lot of capital getting it wrong. Although we've heard just recently that in you know international markets, including France and, uh, and London, traffic used to be all expats, used to be all Americans mostly, yeah. and now it's a, an even mix of locals and yeah. And foreigners. They're a long way. They're so, a long way. Yeah, but away, they're not. Sh- but I mean, and t- you know, they're not shying away from it. They think yeah, that's a market right. they can they can tap into, and yeah. um, they just uh, also are not making it the exclusive growth opportunity outside of their core stores sure. because they have a lot of great opportunity, whether it's shop house or whether just their main concept here in the U.S. Andy, when it comes to time horizon as an investor, how do you think about that? have to think about it. You have to think about your time horizon. I mentioned it earlier. We think, Jeff mentioned in pro rolling three-year periods. I think most of the uh, advisors uh, and analysts think at least in those terms. Tom has a five-year hold in his portfolio here at the at the EP. But you also, not just your holding period period for an individual equity, but you have to think about your time horizon as um, an investor writ large. How close are you to needing the capital? If you need that capital any time within the next few years, that money should not be in the stock market. So certainly think about how do you have to use your capital long term? What are you investing for? What are your goals? Time horizon is a really key component, mm-hmm. big piece of the puzzle of your uh, investing um puzzle. <laughs> uh, Bill, we touched on diversification a little bit, but I'm curious uh, your thoughts on how investors should think about diversification, and in particular, the, the role that international investments can play in that. Yeah, so the U.S. stock market makes up about 30% of the global market by market cap, but most U.S. investors have almost no international direct international exposure. I mean, they'll have international exposure that they might not think about. I mean, McDonald's, for example, nearly 70% of its revenues come from overseas, so it's a much more international 
name than than you than you might think. For me, there are simply opportunities to be had overseas that are no longer available in the United States. Uh, so, for example, the country of Indonesia has a uh, has a middle class that's growing at about fifteen percent per year. And as company as countries move and have a middle class, their economies go from informal to formal. I mean, this is not something that's going to happen in the U.S. I don't want to say ever, but ever. It's just not going to happen again. So so the opportunity to be able to you know consider it'd be as if you could go now and invest in the United States in 1941. And I think you have to take those opportunities. And they're not they're not easy because you don't see them on the street corner. You don't see them around uh, if you are, you know, in, in your hometowns. But it is it is such an important part of uh, of of our investing program, and I think it should be of most people's. And Bill, well. you can you can get that by also like buying something. You mentioned McDonald's, like Diageo, which has a third, a third, a third, a third um, in North America, a third yeah. in Europe, and. Uh, Asian and yeah. a third in Africa too. So there are ways, different ways to get that diversification. Yeah. Um, but I think it is it is a really interesting point to make sure that investors yeah. do have that as a as a part of their philosophy. Yeah, I think that's one thing to keep in mind with the S and P five hundred being so strong. Uh, more than half the revenue comes from overseas right. now. So yeah. it's people all around or all around the world putting money into that index, knowing I'm getting diversification yeah. and I'm in U.S. markets, which are you know regulated well and yeah. liquid. Right. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, for people who are concerned about valuation, what role can options play in their portfolio? So options, in, in both Motley Fool Pro and even in Motley Fool Options, we first teach that stocks are your main show. You should, be, you should have a portfolio of stocks that's set up to compound for the long term and then use options alongside that. And you can use options to generate income, which smooths out your returns. If the market's flat or down, you'll still have some income coming in. It can be, a, you know, a, with options writing, you can make a yield of seven, eight, ten percent a year, pretty standardly in in a typical year. So that really adds to your dividend income as well. If you're really nervous or bearish, you can buy put options to insure your portfolio. It's you're buying an insurance policy that goes up when the market or a stock you own goes down. So there are many ways to to use options to smooth out the returns of your portfolio uh, and make returns in flat and down markets too. So Options U and Motley Fool Options is a great place to yep. brush up on that. Uh, before we wrap up, guys, uh, and Andy, I'll just start with you. What's what's one thing you're going to be watching going forward as we as we continue to play out 2014, or one piece of advice for investors? Well, I'm watching, because in Hidden Gems, we focus on small caps, I'm watching the valuation uh, range between the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000 that currently is around 20, 27%. The Russell 2000 is, is a higher valuation on an yeah. EBITDA basis than the S&P 500. That's at the high, That's at the higher end of that range. Um, when that starts to contract, that's that's when you get real excited. I think about about small caps. Um, so that's the that's the one thing I'm looking at. Bill, yeah. yeah so for me, and we're talking talking domestically. Uh, ultimately, in the short term. The uh, the stock market is all about emotions. In 2013, about 80% of the companies that came out in IPOs uh, were unprofitable on the day that they came public. I mean, that is a historically high number. The last year it was like that was 1998, and we we know what happened after that. So, for me, I am I am very hopeful for a little bit of uh, you know a little bit of distress in the markets because that's that distress. People always talk about time horizons, but 
your time horizon under distress tends to get shorter and naturally mm-hmm. it, for mm-hmm. every for every human being that is the case so i i'm looking for a little bit of distress because i think that there are i mean it is it is clearly the case that the economy is much stronger than it was you know even in 2011 much less during the depths of the crisis so uh i would i i would hope to see a little bit of uh, a little bit of stress and we'll be ready jeff I think like many of us, I'll be watching interest rates. If uh, 10-year Treasury rates can remain low, again, they're 2.5% right now, extremely low, Mm -hmm. then the market could be, not that we necessarily want this, but could remain resilient for a a long time, much longer than we thought. Assuming rates stay low longer than anyone expects, which we don't want to be Japan, but that's happened in Japan because Mm -hmm. there's not enough demand, there's not enough velocity in, in the money base. And we could be headed for that ourselves as baby boomers reach retirement and become more conservative. So demographically, maybe we are set up for a long period of lower than normal interest rates. And if that's the case, stocks should deserve a higher multiple being the the better investment compared to other asset classes. All right. Jeff Fisher, Bill Mann, Andy Cross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Remember, the conversation continues 24-7 on the discussion boards. So we'll see you there.